I had two titles I noticed, The Way of God in Discouraging Times. That's what I want to talk to you about, discouragement. We've reached Nehemiah chapter 4, 10 to 23. It's an interesting text. Nehemiah 4, 10 to 23. If you remember, they're back in the land. They've been set the mind to work. They have the walls up about waist high all around the city. The gaps are all filled. And then here's what happens. Nehemiah 4.10. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see to become among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times. So these are not the ones they're building the wall. These are surrounding areas. They're saying, you must return to us. Forget what you're doing. You must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. and We are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Or God will fight for us. They rally, but God will fight. And so we labored at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand. There's so much you could study there. I want to boil it down to something kind of simple. I want you to notice the contrast between verse 6 and verse 10. Verse 6 of chapter 4. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. 10. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. 
And I would submit to you that in four verses, that's quite a contrast. The people had a mind to work, verse 6. Strength of those who bear the burden is failing. We by ourselves are not able to rebuild the wall. Something begins to happen in the hearts of this group of people as they rebuild the wall. And I think the same thing happens when we try to rebuild our lives. Actually, the text says several things were happening at once. First, there was this loss of strength. That's 410. The strength of those who bear the burden is failing. And notice that their strength starts failing. This is interesting. It starts failing at a very particular time. Verse 6 tells us when. And the wall was joined together to half its height. And don't rush over that. There's a, there's a certain point in anything we do for the Lord, including the things we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in the reconstructing of a life of devotion and dedication to the Lord, there's a certain point at which spiritual labor is exactly like any other kind of labor. Particular point where we're more prone to fatigue and discouragement. Halfway completed. There's a kind of weariness and a frustration that sets into anything you do when it's, when it's halfway done. And the enemy knows that. This is... This is the best time to orchestrate setbacks. The enemy knows that. This is the best time to arrange opposition, circumstances that just seem to happen to wear you down. See, when you're halfway done, you're far enough into the project when you're halfway done that the enthusiasm you had fresh out of the gate is gone. But when you're halfway done, you're not close enough to the finish line to get excited about it. That's what happens right in the middle. You're long out of the gate. The same routine, you know, the, the devotional life, the church attendance, the whatever it is, you're out of the gate. And as you get going in it, you get halfway done, but you can't yet see the finish line. And that is this particular place where discouragement is most prone to set in. You don't have the crowds cheering at the finish line and everyone who was gathered at the starting gate has gone home and there you are right in the middle of the race. It's important to understand this stretch of the rebuilding process in our lives. It's important that we know how to run this leg of the race because this is where so much of our race for the Lord has to be run. There's an everydayness to so many things in your Christian walk. You know that. They're the things you just have to keep doing. And 
you don't have a whole bunch of people just applauding your efforts. And you know what happens. Peter says, people are going to come up and say, where, by the way, where is the sign of his coming? Like, we've been waiting a long time. You're, that's your finish line, by the way. Everything keeps going exactly the same. Same old thing. Same old routines. People come, they die, they go. They come, they die, they go. People backslide, Christians deconstruct, and here you come, Bible study, prayer meeting. How long are we doing this? Do you, do you see what I'm getting at? That part of the Christian life, right in the middle. We're not there yet. Oh, everybody who follows Jesus with a, with a dedication and a commitment, they're going to be pretty thrilled when Jesus comes again. There'll be no shortage of excitement. But that's not where we are. Halfway. Halfway. There are so many everyday illustrations of this middle of the race principle. When does a new car lose its newness? About halfway before it's paid for. There's no new car smell anymore. It's oil changes and brake jobs and scraping the window of the ice in the wintertime, and there's no excitement in any of it. There are people, I suppose, somehow, who enjoy reading those magazines about redecorating and you envision what you're doing to your family room or your kitchen. And I guess it must be exciting to shop and plan. But it's a pain in the neck. I haven't done it very often. I've done it a couple of times. And you come into the house and suddenly there's just dust and drywall ripped up and carpet ripped up and everything looks ugly. And you think, what is this? Something halfway completed is usually just a pain in the neck. What about that fun-filled trip with the kids? Isn't it great? Fun to talk about the hotels and the swimming pools. That great first meal on the road in a nice restaurant. And then you know how it is. Second day in, three or four hours. Are we there yet? That's, that's the cry of the middle, the middle of the stretch. Are we, are we there yet? Pastor Don, here we are. Are we there yet? How much longer? That's what happens in the middle. The walls are halfway up. Everybody was excited. The first text, they all had a mind to work. Let's go, we're here. We got permission from our Xerxes. We've got the lumber. We've got the people, shoulder, side by side. Remember that list of names in chapter two? Everybody working together. The wall's halfway up. And then, and then, and then there's nothing but rubble. It's not true. The wall was halfway up. All they could see was just, it's never going to get done. Halfway through anything is a discouraging time. It's usually when we become most aware of a loss of strength. Almost any task is larger than you anticipated at first. Midway.
hanging in to rebuilding a marriage. This is relevant to a church. And it's been a rough stretch, and you're determined you're going to try and make it work. And let me tell you something. It takes a long time to do that, to do it right. You're halfway in the rebuilding process. and Is this ever going to be good again? Constructing a devotional life. Killing off some sinful habit. You thought it was going to be easy and you find out you, you go well for a while and then you fall back into it. It's not as easy as you thought. Loss of strength halfway through. Okay, point number two. And it's tied into the first one, but it's slightly different. There was this loss of vision. You see that 10th verse in chapter 4? In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And your heart goes out to these dear people. I mean, can't you just hear? Can't you hear the voices as they're working side by side? The walls are halfway up and they're getting tired. And, and there's so, so much rubbish here. It's nothing but rubbish. There's as much rubbish now as there was months ago when we started building. In fact, you know how the process works. The enemy comes. You know what? We're not getting anywhere. I don't think we're going to get anywhere. Loss of vision. Loss of vision. I can relate to that. Do you ever see so much rubble in your life? that you don't think you're growing at all? <laughs> Do you ever start to think you will never complete any of the things God wants you to get done? At the beginning of the rebuilding project, the people had a mind to work. Verse 6, they were excited about the new task. They pictured the walls. They pictured the walls. They pictured the security They've been brought back the security they would finally have, the protection they would have for their families, for their homes. Big, strong walls, firmly in place, and they all got going building. What a desire. What a goal. And then, then something has happened since that great start, and the text makes it very clear. I'm not making it up. There's this constant bombardment of opposition. The enemies had sown thoughts in their minds like, like maggots in a grapefruit. Look at verse 12. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said, you must return to us. Leave what you're doing. Ten times they said this. I mean, there's that spiritual nagging. Never, never miss the plan of the enemy. Whether these predicted attacks from these people actually happened or not, they never actually did in Nehemiah's case. But that constant nattering of threats, opposition, is designed to keep you from thinking about that completed wall and all the blessing it would bring. It's the enemy's way to take the confidence, your heart and soul, out of your walk with God. Never, ever let him do that to you. 
I've had every once in a while someone will come into the office and they'll talk about something they wish they had overcome. I don't know what the habit might be, all sorts. You know, Pastor Don, I thought I was making such progress. And I was, I'm so discouraged. I just feel sick. I feel terrible about the failure in my life. And I don't seem to be able to do anything about it. I don't, I don't think there's anything happening. And you should see the, the change of countenance when you say to them, did this used to bother you before? And they'll say, oh, no, I never thought about it before I came to Jesus. Now it really troubles you? Oh, it keeps me up at night. Why do you think that is? Might, might that not be the Holy Spirit actually working in your life? And then they go, maybe God is doing something in my life. See, that's the minute that the enemy wants to keep out of your soul. Maybe God's doing something. Well, I'm not there yet. The walls are only halfway up, but we're moving. So they have this opposition 10 times over and over and over. You can see the effect. Here's the effect of all of that. It's in verse 10. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we are unable to rebuild the wall. We're not going to be able to do this. Now, technically, there really was no reason for them to say that. There's no reason for them to say, we can't do this, because they had half of it already done. What is making them say this? We're unable. We, we just have no clue or ability to rebuild the wall. But you've got it up to your waist all around the city. They could have easily looked at the wall, half of its full height, extending fully around the city of Jerusalem. They could have seen that they were making progress. The task wasn't impossible. They already had a bunch of it done. And there's a big lesson for people like we. If you listen to every argument, if you entertain every complaint, if you second guess the whole task every time a doubt rises in your soul, not only will you be likely to give up and quit, you won't even be able to see any of the progress you've already made. And that kind of spiritual blindness is really damaging precisely for this reason. It's seeing the progress you've already made that fuels the faith for the top half of the wall. Our enemies said, 11 and 12, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you need to return to us. So do you see the message? No matter what you do, it's not going to work. 10 times they said that. I know, and you know I know, because I talk about it. There are these weird distortions of... Word faith, 
there sometimes get to be distortions, even in some of the songs that we sing, where we, we sing about future realities as though we had all those blessings right now, and that's not the case either. So I know, I know that there are distortions and things we need to be careful about. But there's still something in God's word, and I want to wrap up with this. There's still something in God's word that if, if I don't hold on to it, it will suck strength out of my life. Hebrews 11.6. Think of these builders now. Half the wall up. It's just rubble. We can't do it. Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. We know who the him is because the rest of the verse tells us. For whoever would draw near to God, that's the him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God, you want to be near to God? Must believe, imperative, must believe that he exists, that's a good start, but not enough, and that he rewards those who seek him. If no one's ever told you this in church, God is a rewarder in different ways, in different times, not always according to our schedules. God is a rewarder. And please notice, please notice that holding that conviction is not a recommendation. It's an absolute requirement for people of faith. You not only have to believe in God's existence, that's what the verse says, you have to believe that he's a rewarder. I take that to mean that if I don't hold on to the conviction that God is a rewarder, I might as well not believe in him at all. Such faith will do me no good. It's impossible. It is impossible to please him without that. Not just difficult, not just challenging, can't be done. Why? Why is it just so important? Why is the faith that God is a rewarder so vigorously demanded in this text. Why must we hold to this conviction? And, and, and the answer to that is one of the most fundamental principles you can learn in a church service. You must, you must cling to the belief that God is a rewarder because, because he doesn't always appear to be a rewarder instantly or else there'd be no need to command it right if getting stuff from god was just you know poof magic well then you don't need faith at all just a formula this is what faith is all about if we always had immediate proof that god is a rewarder of faith it wouldn't be so necessary. This conviction is the essence to faith in God. You have to hold on to certain truths about him. And one of the essential truths to the walk of faith is that our God loves to reward those who seek him. He is out. He is out to reward. He's a rewarder. Like, if you have that as your name... <laughs> So here we all are. 
I don't care what the circumstances of your life seem to be screaming right now. And I don't care about all the voices that would tell you otherwise. If you are sincerely seeking God, if you are honestly desiring to walk in his ways, and I'll talk about that when we have communion later. If that's the case, he is out to reward your life. My Bible says so. And I need to always factor in that God is a rewarder. It, this, is, this is so practical. I wonder, so this morning, you know how we frequently wrap up our service. And every time we do it, call people forward, pray for needs. Every time we do it, every single time we do it, in my head, I'm thinking, I wonder how many people are never going to come to the front with their need again because something went wrong. God didn't seem to answer their prayer. They've been here before and they sit silently all across this big sanctuary and they've just, it's not the existence of God that they've given up on. They don't believe he's a rewarder anymore. And that Hebrews text says you, you can't get to God like that. How many people have prayer requests that started off one day with a passionate request and you've been praying the same thing for so long that now you just mouth the words? Isn't that a human thing? Because this idea that he's a rewarder, He's going to reward. Wall's halfway up. There's two things you can do. Nothing but rubble. Ten times, quit, pack it in. Or, see this wall halfway up all around the city? God brought us here. And he got us letters of permission from a pagan king and he got us provisions from the king's forest and he had soldiers that would come and protect us. He's a rewarder. And I would just encourage you wherever you're at, never ever let go of that. If you're going to draw near to him, you have to have that. Everyone's sad?